see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Welcome back to the 10th episode of Ready for Close-Up. I'm here yet again with Andy. Hello, Andy. Hi, Sam. And just wanted to say, Andy, thanks for doing this with me. And thanks to anyone listening, no matter how many or how few. It's been fun and we hope to keep going. Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, almost exactly a month ago, on the 31st of October, we have lost one true movie icon, Sir Sean Connery, at the age of 90. A hero of any James Bond fandom, a gorgeous face and a stabilizing presence in even the most questionable flick, and an increasingly revered character actor playing action heroes and father figures and grumpy but lovable mentors, he will be truly missed. So we thought we wanted to dedicate this anniversary 10th episode in memoriam Sean Connery. We have gone through his colorful filmography from the late 50s to the early 2000s and have picked the most noteworthy jaw-dropping or surprising among his many roles, focusing on some favorites in more detail. We will keep biographical details to a minimum and instead present our own personal Sean Connery movie picks. Are you ready, Andy? I am. Let's go. So to begin with, and many people will be familiar with this, Connery was born into poverty in 1930s Fountain Bridge, a part of Edinburgh. He worked many jobs, from milkman to coffin polisher, and joined the Navy before he signed up for bodybuilding and a Mr. Universe contest. Thereabouts, he joined a theater company and was soon discovered for his handsome features and his impressive build. Hollywood star Lana Turner, filming her Another Time, Another Place in Britain at the time, insisted Connery be her male counterpart. Besides making Connery famous, she also incensed her gangster lover's jealousy, leading to him getting killed. Not by Connery, who famously disarmed him in front of the entire film crew when he flew to Britain to threaten Connery, but by the later convicted daughter of Lana Turner. Still, Connery's early movie career was overshadowed by this scandal and might have led to his Disney movie Darby O'Gill and the Little People being less than successful. But Connery's career would soon jumpstart into worldwide stardom in the 60s. Exactly. The 1960s saw a massive career surge for Connery when he was cast as James Bond in Dr. No in 1962. And he would become not only a movie star and a sex symbol, but also forever embedded in Western popular culture with his virile sex appeal and charisma as one of the most recognizable movie characters in history. And even though the Bond movies made him a star, Connery grew tired of the role and the pressure the franchise put on him pretty fast. While doing the Bond movies, he starred most notably in a Alfred Hitchcock's Marnie, but only on the condition not having to play a variation of a spy character, because he feared of being typecast. As we discussed last time briefly in our Hitchcock episode, Marnie might not be Hitchcock's best movie, but it's worth a watch if only to see Connery in his prime outside of the Bond universe. So Sam, what do you think is the best role in the 1960s by Connery? Well, it would obviously have to be the Bond movies. I mean, that's what defined his career for the entirety of the 1960s. And even though he managed to do quite a few other roles and 
small parts. I think it's it's really the the most iconic role in his entire career, obviously. What makes him so good? I've tried to think about this. I mean, I would argue I'm not of the only Connery camp among the Bond fans, but I think every one of his Bond films, he stands out with his charisma and his, like you said, his virile charm. And there's this, this balance that he strikes with uh, being both charming and tough and ruthless and sadistic and funny. So for me, it would have definitely have to be James Bond, most notably probably in Goldfinger. I think he's best in terms of his looks and his his acting skills and his comfort in the role in Goldfinger. Now hear this, Goldfinger. Your luck has just changed. I doubt very much if the Miami Beach police would take kindly to what you're doing. Not your head if you agree. No, I'd... Good. Now start losing, Goldfinger. Shall we say... Uh... Ten thousand dollars. Oh, let's be generous. Let's make it fifteen thousand. Over and out. If you have to watch only one movie from the sixties from Connery, I would definitely say go for Goldfinger, because all what you just described, I think it's really there, and I think we mentioned now Marnie as well as an example of this era. I think also there he brings this interesting mix of street roughness yet shelled in a, in a gentleman. So I think it's, it's this nice contrast of being edgy and a little bit rough around the edges, but at the same time, he he's, has this elegant presence and he has this, um, this charm also, and also the humor, what you just described. In a way, we're kind of secret Marnie fans, I think the two of us. We both have a, <laughs> a slight knack for that movie, even though it's considered kind of a not so perfect Hitchcock movie. So I was wondering, what, what do you feel is the difference between his effect in, let's say, Goldfinger and Marnie? Because those movies are pretty much made around the same time. To be honest, I would have to rewatch Marnie to confidently answer that question. But from memory, I would say that I think in Marnie, he doesn't come across as very sympathetic. I think there's also this very doubtful rape scene with Tippi Hedren where, where Connery's character is raping basically the main character and there are all these he's not so nice as he potentially is in, in the Goldfinger or in the Bond movies where he's clearly the hero and even though he might have some some joke on, on the lips or some he's, he's punching up a, a villain I think he, he's still positively connotated and I think in Marnie he's not necessarily that so I think that's that's the interesting difference there I think so too but it gives him such a great chance at showing his his acting chops because the Bond role is somewhat confined to the things he needs to do in, in the Bond role obviously which is kind of similar in each one of them but I think you can really tell that he was enjoying the opportunity to to act more dramatically in Marnie and to really you know challenges himself and also Tippi Hedren in the character of Marnie by all these games that they play and the conflicts that they have and maybe even down to that very famous rape scene that you mentioned where seeing Connery and thinking of him in the Bond role where we kind of uh, empathize with him it's then extra disturbing to see him do that to the Marnie character. You've been an absolute darling about my sitting up reading so late these nights. I'm uh, boning up on marine life since entomology doesn't seem to be your subject. And I'm eager to find a subject, Mommy. Any subject. All right. Here's a subject. How long? How long do we have to stay on this boat, this trip? 
How long before we can go back? Why, Mrs. Rutland, can you be suggesting that these halcyon honeymoon days and nights, just the two of us alone, together, should ever end? But anyway, let's move on to the 70s, because the 70s proved to be a more difficult era for Connery. It, it started triumphantly with his return as James Bond in Diamonds Are Forever, for which he earned a yet unheard of sum of $1.2 million and the right to make two other movies. So they were really desperate to getting back after George Lazenby had somewhat failed at the box office. But after finally getting rid of Bond's, playing him with charm, but having also aged substantially since his 1960s outings, Connery struggled to find success. He repeatedly worked with uh, director Sidney Lumet, most notably in the Anderson tapes, and the adaptation of Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express, alongside almost too many other stars to really remember him. There was a weird excursion into sci-fi in John Wurman's Zardoz, now hailed as a somewhat a precursor to Borat with Connery in somewhat sexy chalkstrap gear, and historical adventures alongside uh, Michael Caine in John Huston's The Man Who Would Be King, Candice Bergen in The Wind and the Lion, and Donald Sutherland in Michael Crichton's The Great Train Robbery. So Connery would often be cast together with other famous names, for instance in The Bridge of Arnheim, alongside a number of stars, and didn't have the star power like in the days of Bond anymore. And he had noticeably aged as well, and many failed to recognize him as anything but an aged Bond. Sometimes, though, that played to his advantage, and I was wondering which of the 1970s roles, and I don't think I've mentioned it yet, have you picked? I would pick his role as Robin Hood in Robin and Marion, which is this uh, very bittersweet swan song starring Sean Connery and also Audrey Hepburn as, as Marian. The whole movie is this story of Robin Hood and Maid Marian when they are aged, when they're older. And I think the whole movie is very, has this bittersweet melancholy of youth gone, of the prime of life is gone, the, the, the dreams are gone. And yet there is still something to, to live, to worth living for, worth fighting for in that sense. In this movie, you really see Sean Connery still being at his most charming. And I think the chemistry with Audrey Hepburn is amazing. Somehow he also revels in this role of the failed old hero who's not really fit anymore, but he still has to fight, but he's tired. And I think it's this nice stage that leads up to the movies that will come in his later in the later stage of his career where we he will play different kind of characters and i think this is a very nice bridge of his former hero roles into the more the mentor and older man roles and there he's still playing with both sides a bit and i think that's really nice is that disapproval robin am i in the wrong i followed you for 20 years I fought for you in the Crusades. I fought for you here in France. Show me a soldier and I'll fight him now. But I won't slaughter children for a piece of gold that never was. I ordered it. I command you. You do it! You're a bloody bastard. You'll enjoy it! Damn right I'll do it! I'll tell you! Arrest those two! Lock them up! I'll have their heads on! I would also say, though, that all the 
movies you mentioned before, these adventure movies are something, these historical adventure movies is something that I watched as a young kid quite often. Also with my father, I would say, The Man Who Would Be King or The Great Train Robbery. So these are also movies that I grew up with and also with Sean Connery. So I'm surprised to see that he wasn't too successful with those movies because in my mind he was always, even in this movie, uh, a great star. But it's, it's interesting to, to realize the, the context of, of what it meant for his career. Well, I would say probably they gained in esteem later on. I think they were not as successful at the box office as they could have been, and he wasn't quite the star he would later be. But I think later on, you know, showing them on television alongside his 1980s and 1990s movies, um, they must have been much more popular afterwards. But I, I just want to say what a lovely choice, Robin and Marian. I think it's, it's one of those old style movies, you know, just the, the making of it, the, the star power. There's also Richard Harris as uh, Richard Leinhardt, and there's Robert, Robert Shaw. Shaw teaming up again with uh, Connery after From Russia With Love, where he played the villain, and here again he's he's the villain. So, and, and of course there's a great John Barry score, that's also how I came across this movie for the first time, because I knew the music and then I wanted to see what's behind it. And it's, it's just a lovely, nostalgic piece of filmmaking. To Marion, the woman he loved, he was her man. You're so beautiful. Come and sit by me. Sean Connery is Robin Hood. And in her long-awaited return to the screen, Audrey Hepburn is Marion. No more scars, Robin. It's too much to lose it twice. I've never kissed a member of the clergy. Would it be a sin? Um, if I had to pick one, I would probably pick a very unusual one that I also haven't mentioned because I was a big fan of disaster movies when I was a teenager and I was watching, you know, all the airports and earthquakes and towering infernos at the time. And then one movie starred Sean Connery alongside Natalie Wood and Carl Malden and that's Meteor. And it was, you know, of course, as the title says, a meteor is threatening to destroy Earth and create some early uh, aftershocks from small meteors uh, hitting Earth. And Sean Connery, basically all movie long, is just down in a bunker with Natalie Wood, watching screens and, and making contact with the world to, to try to warn everybody. And he's so good at it. I mean, it's a terrible movie. The effects are absolutely <laughs> shockingly bad even for 1970 standards. But his Paul Bradley that he plays in the movie is just like serious and down to earth and he has a magnetic presence. And I think it's just testimony to whatever Sean Connery could do in any movie. He was just, he was just good. He was suave, he was elegant. He had good chemistry with Natalie Wood as well. And yeah, he was an asset to any crappy movie, even in the 70s. What else do you want to know? It would be too rude to ask. Ask what you like. Why are you and your wife separated? Nothing specific. It uh, just happened. It's uh, no more talks, no more interests together. It's what we here in America call uh, incompatibility. That's what we call it in Russia. Несовместимость. Yeah, that sounds about right. Ever thought of living elsewhere? 
sometimes. Well. You'd like it here, you know. We've got everything. Power cuts, strikes, unemployment, race riots, and a terrific crime rate. But let's move on to the 80s. I mean, interestingly enough, he, even though he said in the 70s he would never play James Bond again, he returned to, to the Bond uh, universe and he started again in the unofficial entry Never Say Never Again, um, which was commercially actually quite successful. And it was, I think it was pitched against Octopussy with Roger Moore from the official series. Was still a good hit, but um, Connery was, I think he got tired and I think the production was quite troubled. So he retired for a few years from filmmaking and only when he returned with The Name of the Rose, which was a European movie production, this actually reignited Connery's appetite for more commercial projects. And he also starred as a mentor figure in Highlander, which was another great hit. So by the mid to late 80s, he really became again this powerhouse in commercial successful movies. He also played Indiana Jones' father in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade which was, an, again, a highly successful blockbuster. And I think creatively, he topped it off, basically, as Jim Malone in The Untouchables, where he won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, I think in the 80s, he really reignited his career. He turned into an older character and he, um, he won an Oscar in the end. So what are your favorite roles from the 80s? Well, you mentioned a couple of them. I think my favorite role of the 1980s would have to be The Name of the Rose, where he plays a monk called William of Baskerville, a kind of a type of a Sherlock Holmes character that's set in the Middle Ages and has to clear up a murder mystery at a monastery. And I think he is just so perfectly chosen. I just recently rewatched The Name of the Rose, which is a great and very atmospheric European movie production starring all kinds of interesting faces. There's a young Christian Slater who's the novice who accompanies Sean Connery and he's so great and so magnetic at teaching this young novice not only the intricacies of this murder mystery and the life at this monastery with all its secrets but also just at giving life philosophy to this young man who later on then retells the story. And of course it's, it's based on that grand Umberto Eco historical novel but the movie still makes a, a great run at creating a, a suspenseful murder mystery. And I think it's it's really down to Sean Connery playing it convincingly and, and seriously. So definitely I've seen this movie, I don't know, 30 times, 40 times. I used to watch it every time we were at our grandparents for longer than, than a day. Because originally my parents had forbidden me from watching it because they thought it was like too extreme, too violent. So of course, what does a young kid do at a time? He watches it over and over. And so I, I mean, I love this. This is my idea. Besides James Bond, I think Sean Connery for me is William of Baskerville. Hadzo, are you paying attention? Yes, he jumped. He jumped? You, you mean that he... It's suicide? Yes. Why else would someone go up there at night in the middle of a hailstorm? Hmm? Certainly not to admire the landscape. No. Perhaps... Perhaps someone murdered him. And then toiled all the way up there with a the body. Much easier to get rid of it through that sluice gate they pulled their charity through. No, no. My dear Agile. It's... Elementary. 
That's interesting because apart from James Bond, for me, Sean Connery is Indy's father. <laughs> and I think it's really down to, I think it's the same story there. I think I've watched, I don't know, all these Indiana Jones movies, I don't know how many hundred times. I really think I, I probably this role of Indiana Jones' father was my first contact with Sean Connery, even before the James Bond movies, probably. I think also there, he's just so great and it really makes The Last Crusade, I would say, the best Indiana Jones movie because it adds this other layer also to Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones. And Sean Connery is just, even though it's a supporting role, he's funny, he's, um, yeah, he, he's human. And I think he's he also really blooms in this role of, of this mentor, father figure, quite literally. And at the same time, he's, he's funny and he's still this little, has this little womanizer uh, slaps at his younger son. And I think it's just great and it's an amazing role in an amazing movie and I think Sean Connery really makes the best out of it. And the tomb of Sir Richard found it. He was actually there. You saw him. Well, what was left of him? And his shield. The inscription on Sir Richard's shield. Alexandretta. Alexandretta, of course. On the pilgrim trail from the Eastern Empire. Oh. Junior, you did it. No, Dad, you did. Forty years. If only I could have been with you. There were rats, Dad. Rats? It's a hard choice, you know, between between the two. I think those are really two of his most fantastic roles. In a in a decade that also saw him join Terry Gilliam in Time Bandits or alongside Christopher Lambert in Highlander. There were two movies even, which were also quite iconic. I think those were also cult movies and Connery's roles were quite famous. But I think it's down to the other two. I was wondering, have you seen The Untouchables? Because I haven't. Neither have I, to be honest. I've yet to see it as well. I mean, Jim Malone, this, this policeman, is really, I think, the, one of the most famous roles just because of his Oscar win, of course, but also because of working for Brian De Palma for once. Looking at his filmography, he had the chance to work with an interesting range of, of directors. You had Spielberg, you had Lumet repeatedly, you had De Palma, then Jean-Jacques Hannault, Cinnamon and Houston, and of course all the, the Bond directors. But let's talk about the, the 90s, because Connery would easily follow up his newfound stardom from the 1980s in the 1990s as well. A decade full of starring roles in action thrillers, political and historical drama. Connery played it all, from the ambiguous Soviet submarine captain with a noticeable Scottish accent in Hunt for Red October, a British publisher in Moscow falling in love with Michelle Pfeiffer in The Russia House, Two historical figures from a surprise cameo, which I remember really well as Richard Leinhardt in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, alongside Kevin Costner. Two King Arthur in A First Night, alongside Richard Gere and Julia Ormond. He was a doctor in Medicine Man, as well as a good man in Africa. A law professor in Just Cause, alongside Lawrence Fishburne. And a police captain alongside Wesley Snipes in Rising Sun. And at the end of the decade, he found both failure and success, first as a Bond-like villain in the abysmal film version of 1960s TV classic The Avengers, alongside Ralph Fiennes and Juma Thurman, and as a Bond-like master thief alongside Catherine Cedar-Jones in Entrapment. 
In short, you could say Connery could be cast in anything and he would pull an audience. But in the end, it was not the character that counted as much as Connery's face and name and, and solid bravado. What is your most iconic role of Connery in the 90s? I think it's a little bit more tricky to answer that question because I think a lot of these names you mentioned, I think when you grow up in the 90s, you you have seen these movies and they're all somehow always in, in, in the back of your mind or, or like, like Robin Hood or First Night. I would say though that I think from a movie-going experience. I really vividly remember um, seeing Entrapment with Catherine Zeta-Jones and Sean Connery. I really enjoyed this movie, even though now in hindsight, when I see it again, I think, yeah, it's okay for a late 90s heist flick. It's well done, it's cute. But back then I really loved it. And I think even though the love story between the aged Connery and the very young Zita Jones was a bit cherché, to say in French. Entrapment really shows all of these assets we've been talking about that make Connery movie great and that he brings to the table is really this presence he has, the chemistry with the leading lady he can establish even though she's 30 years younger. Entrapment is, is a good heist movie but it really lives off Connery's charm and his um, rapport with Catherine Zeta-Jones. And one anonymous phone call for me, uh, plus the photos. What photos? Oh, yes. These. Oh, who took... Hey! This is entrapment. What? I said this is called entrapment. No, actually it's called blackmail. Entrapment is what cops do thieves. You coming? But isn't that what I was trying to say before? That you, in a way, it's not Sean Connery's characters that matter. It's the fact that Sean Connery's in the movie. Absolutely. You know, I mean, <laughs> whether you look at Entrapment or Hunt for Red October or uh, later on Finding Forrester and Rising Sun. I mean, th those movies are all a blur to me because in a way it's just, I mean, Sean Connery's in there and he's good. But I think the probably the two movies that stand out for me that I haven't mentioned yet, him voicing the dragon Draco in Dragonheart on the one hand because it was so impressive to just see what an effect his voice alone had. Eight, Captain nine. <laughs> Most profitable dragon. I should have met you a long time ago. There is much gold in the world. Perhaps when you had your fill of it, you'll no longer need me. I am a knight of the old code. My word is my bond. No compunctions then. About what? Well, such deception hardly befits a knight of the old code. <laughs> Fleecy guidance lackeys. That's a service to mankind. And the other one that I have left kind of for the end is at The Rock. You know, he plays <laughs> John Patrick Mason, this spy that has been cheated and put into prison, and then he has escaped uh, Alcatraz as the only person to ever manage that. And he's a fantastic action hero. And even though some of the movies really dated by now and Nicolas Cage is always awful in almost any movie, Sean Connery really pulls it off and he's cool and he's magnetic and he's dynamic and he's look believable even at this age as an action star. And he's, they play a little bit on his James Bond image and still he, he, he really blossoms as an older Action star. I think they tried to do the same thing with Entrapment, but in The Rock, 
he really rocks. I don't quite see how you cherish the memory of the dead by killing another million. And uh, this is not combat. It's an act of lunacy, General Sir. Personally, I think you're a fucking idiot. The Tree of Liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. Thomas Jefferson. Patriotism is the virtue of the vicious, according to Oscar Wilde. Thank you for making my point. I really liked what you said before that it doesn't matter what the movie is as long as Sean Connery is in. I think he's, <laughs> if, if, if we would also describe why he was such a great actor, it, it, I don't think he's malleable in the sense that he's changing and he's completely disappearing into characters and, and accents and voices and, and postures. He's always, I mean, at least I would say that in the last 10, 15 years of his career, he was always more or less the same. And I think this is, is or was the great quality of Sean Connery that he was really had this star quality that transcended everything and I think you rarely see people or actors these days who have the same quality I would say what do you think I think he's also really missing I totally agree with that because when he passed away my first thought was yeah I think the word iconic that we mentioned now a few times is really comes to mind he he was such an icon in, in any movie whether the movie was good or bad he was always someone you really liked seeing in the movie and you knew he would be good and and you knew his repertoire you knew what kind of his facial expressions and kind of the the coolness in a way he was sean connery when i introduced the hunt for red october he could even pull off a, a, a soviet captain but he would still be sean connery and i think that that was really his his quality as you say he's not a fantastic method actor that is totally believable in absorbing that role. He's just Sean Connery playing that role. And I think he it worked fantastically for him, both in his James Bond years when he was Bond and a little bit more, but then especially later on since, I would say, Name of the Rose, the mid-1980s, up until the very last few movies he made. So maybe let's talk about those. There's not much more that he did beyond the 1990s. Finding Forrester, even though I didn't see it, but it was a starring role for him, and The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Anything else that he was supposed to play? I, I, I read that he was supposed to play um, Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, and he turned it down apparently because he didn't understand the script. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think uh, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was the last movie I saw with him. And I also think this was after this movie unfortunately flopped. He was also, I think, quite disappointed in the movie industry in general. And he was really like, okay, that's it. You know what? I'm out of here. Um, mm -hmm. and, he, and he retired. And he retired. Actually. And I think it's, on one hand, of course, it's a shame because what we just discussed before, like this really this store quality he had to elevate every movie. It was it was missing all of a sudden, and I think he, there there would have been, and I'm sure there would have been great movie roles for him. On the other hand, he was also very consequential in that sense that he really never made anything after. And I think one really interesting decision that he made was also to turn down the role they offered him in 2012 Skyfall. 
because he had he had played in so many documentaries, you know, as as a James Bond actor, and there was there's so many documentaries that that feature him where he talked about the Bond role. And he seemed quite at peace with it. He even voiced Bond again in the From Russia with Love game. But then in 2012, they were making Skyfall, and Sam Mendes when they were developing the script, of course, they have that part at the end where Bond goes back to his family home. And remember, Albert Finney is there, who was kind of the person who took over his education when his parents died. And apparently they offered the role to Sean Connery. Oh, okay. It's set in Scotland, you know, in his childhood home. So obviously that would have been a grand chance for Connery, very ironically, tongue-in-cheek, to play Bond's mentor at his age. But he turned it down. And I think Albert Finney is a great choice to replace him. But what would you have thought of that? Sean Connery playing Bond's mentor to Daniel Craig. I think it's good he didn't do it. Because I think the meta level would have been too too big in a way. And I also think the tone the Craig Bond movies have is so different from, from what Sean Connery personifies or personified because I think he was always a bit tongue-in-cheek as you said before he's the Russian Soviet general with the Scottish accent so I think he's not really I'm not sure if he would have fitted into this very somber Bond universe of Daniel Craig and I'm also not sure if this meta joke so to speak would have paid off in a way i think that that was just a great decision and what a great thing for an actor to say you know i'm i'm through with this i'm going to show up at some premieres and i think he joined a couple of bond premieres as well but that was it speaking of which so we're looking at this long filmography what would you say are maybe the two roles that stick out for you from all the movies we talked about? I mean, obviously, James Bond. I think there's no way around it. I think he really defined the role, but also the role defined him and his career. And I think there was really this interconnection between actor and and character that was so strong. And I think it was, for him, a blessing and a a curse at the same time. Goldfinger is really the gold standard of of Bond movies and also his interpretation of the role, I think, is still today a, a standard all the other actors have to live upon. I'm beginning to like you, Mr. Bond. No, call me James. More than anyone I've met in a long time. James. Well, what on earth are we going to do about it? Yes, what? I'll tell you at dinner. Where? Well, I know the best place in town. The other role, I think I mentioned it before a little bit, I will remember him most fondly is clearly Indiana Jones' father. It shows him at his later stage of his career where he was really taking off again and it's such a a warm positive role and he really adds so much to the movie that I think this is an amazing movie role I love the movie very much as you can tell and um, I think Sean Connery plays a big part in it so that's why it's really close to my heart I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne let my armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds in the sky well, there's no getting around Bond, so I'm I'm going to agree with you. Watch Sean Connery in Doctor No, From Russia with Love, and Goldfinger. And the second one, I think, is also clear to me again is the name of the rose. The name of the rose kind of 
personifies the age John Connery and still it's something a little bit different. I think it's not yet cookie cutter, let's cast John Connery this role and he'll be great. He was still kind of earning it and he was making this role his own. And I think this mix of him being somewhat a little bit like a little bit like Bond, a little bit like Sherlock Holmes. He's a historical figure. So I think that would be definitely my, my second choice. So go and watch The Name of the Rose again if you're looking for a great Sean Connery role besides Bond. How peaceful life would be without love, Angel. How safe, how tranquil, and how dull. It was nice to remember Connery through our talk and remember the many different movies he made but also in a way the man who will be missed so it's really nice to remember him and uh, i'm certainly going to watch a few more connery movies after this it, it really shows what what a career can be and i think he was also lucky to have such a long and extended career and it really had ups and downs there there's so many movies um out there with sean connery in it i still haven't seen so thanks andy for talking about this and thanks everyone for listening and join us again when we are again ready for a close-up. Without you, what do we do? Where do we turn? To the stars, Bowen. To the stars. Draco star shone more brightly for all of us who knew where to look.